Good morning, Calvary. I hope you're doing well. If we've never met, my name is Thomas, and I get to be on staff here at the church and be able to open up the scriptures on the weekends and explore God's word together. We're in this series going through a gospel, a historical document by an author by the name of Luke, who was a physician, and he is like a historical biographer in the first century going around talking to all the key eyewitnesses who listened to Jesus, saw Jesus, watched and witnessed his death and resurrection, and he's putting the whole story together. And he opens up this gospel, and he writes to a man named Theophilus, whose name means lover of God. And he says, to you who love God and want to be certain of the things that you have heard, the things that you have been taught, I have investigated it all. I have compiled it in an orderly historical document. I have recorded who said what, where, when, so you can go and investigate it and have the confidence of faith. And we're doing this journey of just getting alongside the life of Jesus that we would look just like him. And so here's a question I want to start with today. Have you ever participated on a team Raise your hand if you've ever been on a team somewhere. A sports team, a music team, a team at work, a team at school. There's something I watched my kids do at the park recently, which brought me back to a moment in elementary school where we're at the park, and there's all these kids, and we're going to play a game, and the kids say, let's choose teams. And then they picked what? They picked captains. And two captains came out. And captains began to pick their teams right now. I don't know if you've ever been in an environment like this. It depends on your skill set, whether you're going in first round or you're going to be a walk-on. <laughs> now, when we were on the playground, I usually went in the early rounds. It was like, yes, we're playing football. We're playing baseball, kickball. And then we went to the classroom. We're like, everyone break up to teams. We're going to do a world history report. And I was definitely drafted late. Probably by a teacher who's like, who still has room? Thomas would like to join their team. Oh. Maybe you've had the privilege of putting some of those teams together. Maybe you've been tasked. Maybe you work for Ball Aerospace, and, and one of your jobs is to put together a team that's going to engineer something to be launched into space. And you have to handpick your team. Maybe you're a, a small business owner, and you're going to handpick some of those early employees that are going to help you work on a team. Maybe you're a doctor, and you're going to do research. But we have to put these teams together at times. And how do you determine who you call to participate on your team? Because you're going to have to work together. You're going to have to accomplish a goal together. Hopefully at the end, you'll be victorious. And so when we start thinking about putting teams together, we start thinking about certain talents. Like, who's the most talented in this room? Let's look at their resumes. We look at their unique gifts today. We've got to compile unique people that balance each other, that support one another, that complement one another. And then if, if you've been around anything around teams in the last 20 years, we talk about this idea of culture. Like, you can have the smartest, brightest, most talented and gifted people, but if they're toxic to the team... You don't want them. And so you got to find people who are good fits with one another, have a good culture. So today's text is this. Jesus putting together his earliest followers, his top 12 picks, so to speak. And we're going to look at what Jesus is after in these first 12. 
that's indicative of what he's going to look for for everyone to follow. Let me ask you this question. What do you think is in Jesus' mind when he starts calling people to participate on his team, in his work? Especially those in those early days that are going to follow him, they're going to eat with him, they're going to travel with him for years. Would you be, this is the question, would you be a kind of person that Jesus would want to call on his team? What do you think? Do you think you're the kind of person that Jesus would want to call to participate in his work and mission now and forever? How would you know? Well, let's look at some of those characteristics of these first 12 and then see if we can find ourselves in the story. So we're going to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, in verse 1. Now, what we, well, the bridge between last week and this week is he's done teaching the synagogue. He's given his inaugural address. This is what the kingdom's about. I've come to preach good news to the poor, to bring justice and liberty and freedom to the captives, to, buy, to, to build up and set free those who are blind and those who are suffering in this world, the oppressed. And then he just goes and does it. It's one thing to say it like a politician. It's a totally different thing for Jesus to say it, proclaim it, and then go actually do it. And so what we see is he actually starts setting people who are captivated and oppressed free. And he starts healing people with diseases. And the crowds are swarming around Jesus. He actually retreats to a private place. He spent all night in prayer. And then he comes down to one of his most famous places near the Sea of Galilee. And he begins to teach. Chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, Luke says, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. So here's Jesus continuing to teach about what does the kingdom look like? More about this justice and liberty and good news. They're pressing in on him. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is Luke's favorite way of talking about the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So how fishing worked is it's a commercial business, and they would go out in the evening. because too hot during the day. The fish go way down deep during the day, and they only have nets. This is not them with a fishing pole with lures. This is nets, and they do it in a group of people, and they go out during the night. They fish all night long with these nets. And then in the daytime, they retreat back to the shore, and they take these huge commercial nets, and they drag them out of their boat. All their fishing stuff comes out of their boat, and they have to lie it on the shore so it can dry out. And then as it dries out, they see all the, all the ways the nets broke over the night. And so there they spend the morning repairing all their nets, drying all of their nets, repacking all their nets, preparing for the next evening's fishing excursion. And so the boats are empty, which means they've already dumped out all their supplies on the shore. Maybe they're drying. Maybe they're being repaired. But Jesus sees one of these unoccupied boats. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, this is Peter's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So the crowds are so big, pressing in on Jesus, he actually retreats onto a boat and just pushes off to the side and says, from here... I'll teach everyone who has come on the shore. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So mid-morning now. No one fishes mid-morning. And he tells Simon, okay, 
put out into the deep and cast out your nets. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Right? I mean, this is Simon who's a professional fisherman. What's Jesus' trade? He's a carpenter. Right? I mean, if, if I were Peter, I'd probably be like, hey, really appreciate the sermon. Very nice. Um, but me, fisherman, you, carpenter, you maybe build the boats, we catch the fish. Right? Like, what, what does a carpenter have anything to know about fishing? And he says, we've been out all night. He says, but master, all night we've been fishing, we've toiled, and we took nothing, which is probably unusual. It's probably unusual that these guys who fish every single night that are professional fishermen who make their livelihood doing this in the Sea of Galilee, which is known as one of the most fruitful bodies of water on the planet, caught nothing. It says they toiled. This idea of toiling is they worked to a place of discouragement and despair. We have been fishing all night. It's like the craziest thing happened. We've never experienced this. We caught nothing, and we kept fishing until we were completely discouraged about it. But then, then, then Simon says the most interesting thing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. But at your word. Like, I, this doesn't make any sense to do it. I would never do it. In fact, no fisherman I know would do this. But because you said so, because you said so, I will do it. What would we call that? Faith. We'd call that obedient faith. Is to trust God's word when he says it. Even when it doesn't make sense to us. Now, sometimes we see this story and we think this is Peter's first interaction with Jesus, as though he just met Jesus who hijacked his boat. It's probably not. So Jesus has been in this area for a little bit of time now. And like all good stories travel through villages quickly. And so don't you think that perhaps the stories of what Jesus has said in the synagogue have reached Peter's ears? Don't you think this is what the evening stories are all about? Like, can you believe that there is this Jesus who has said and then started doing these things? In his region is where many of these healings have happened. Perhaps Peter's own friends have been healed. We know from Luke's account, his own mother-in-law has been healed. So just look up a few verses prior to this in chapter 4, verse 38, not on the screen. But one of the miracles that, that Jesus has done has already been in Peter's house. It says, and he, as Jesus, rose and left the synagogue after one of his teachings and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. So Peter's mother-in-law is living with them. And he's, been an, he's, he's already seen as an eyewitness the power of the kingdom of God in his family. And so this Jesus who was in his house and he's heard his teaching, he's heard about his miracles, has now stepped in his boat and he's telling him, let's push out. And instead of being like Thomas would be and say, me fisherman, you carpenter. He says, 
we fished all night. We're completely discouraged and exhausted. Like we've already unloaded the boats. But at your word, because you say so, we will do it. So at your word, we will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to the other partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they, and they came and filled both the boats. And so they began to sink. This is, a, this is a catch like they've never seen before. That their nets are breaking and their boats are sinking. And it's not just Peter with a fishing pole. It's him and his company and other companies nearby that are rushing in and filling their boats with this catch. A miraculous thing has been done. But when Simon Peter saw it, so then he observes the work being done. When he sees it, this is how he interprets it. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. That's Peter's response. See, when God shows up in, in his life and does this miraculous thing, Peter falls down before Jesus and says, I know who you are, and I certainly know who I am. We can't hang out together. This is a, this is a familiar response of those who have been in the presence of God before. This is how Moses responded, falling on his face, for the ground he was standing on was holy. This is how Job responded in the presence of God, which is, my eyes have seen the Lord and I am despised. This is how Isaiah responded, being in the presence of God. He says, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people. Of unclean lips. Like, we shouldn't be here. God, you are holy. You're holy. You're holy. And I'm not. I'm not. And so depart from me is what he says. Like, if I'm going to live, you need to depart from me. I'm a sinful man. You can't be around me. But that's not, that's not what Jesus came to do. Didn't come to identify a bunch of sinners and kick them out. So Peter knows who Jesus is. This is God. Who is it that the, the wind and the waves obey? Who is this Jesus that the fish obey? Think about this. The fish have obeyed Jesus probably all night long. He's been praying all night long. Perhaps Jesus has been praying all night long. But they don't catch a fish. I don't know. But there's, there's this miracle that commercial fishermen, professional fishermen have not caught a single thing. It, it kind of amazes me that perhaps God is frustrating the very thing that Peter finds his strength in, his confidence in, and then returns it in the morning in a way that he's never experienced to show that his true strength and dependence will come from Jesus. Not from himself, not from his own might and strength, but from what Jesus will do. And so it's depart from me from a sinful man, O Lord, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, and were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. This is mercy. This is God's mercy. It's, here's this penitent, humbled sinner. And God says to him, don't be afraid. Like, you don't need to fear to be in my presence. 
don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men, human, men and women. You'll be bringing in men and women, so to speak, into the kingdom. I'm going to give you a commissioning. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. It's not like they just like put down their tackle box, like we'll just leave that right there, and follow Jesus. They, they surrender their livelihoods. Everything that they know and have done, and they followed him. They followed him. Now here's some historical context of what's going on, kind of put some meat on the bones here. During this time, the, the schools were connected to the synagogues. And there was a high value on education for young girls and young boys. And the Mishnah points out how some of these schools operated. So probably the age of four or five, young Jewish boys and girls would come to school and they would learn to read and to write the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. It's at age five. By the time they're at age ten, they've, they've put much of it, if not all of it, to memory. And then between ages 10 and 13 is when they're really seen as young men and young women. And they've experienced their very first Passover. This is probably what we see Jesus doing at age 12 in Jerusalem just a few chapters before. And then there's age 15, which is kind of marks of, of the, the uh, adulthood and moving into being able to be married by 18. And at 20, they would move into a vocation. So they'd have all of this education in God's word. In God's ways, memorizing most of it, if not all of it. And by 20, the majority of those who went to school did not remain in the scholastic world, in the academy, but would go take on a vocation permanently. And so when Jesus arrives, he's meeting probably some young men who have gone through the school but couldn't cut it to become the premier of the premier teachers and future scribes. And so they have taken up a vocation. But for some, they would take up a vocation, like Jesus in carpentry, and if they were the cream of the crop, by the age of 30, and, Peter, and Luke has already pointed out that he's 30 years old when he begins his ministry, at the age of 30, he would become into a new category in which they would be seen as teaching authority of the local synagogue or area. They'd be actually be able to make new interpretations, write new commentary on the scriptures. And so here's Jesus, probably cream of the cream, who's going around teaching with authority of the scriptures. Everyone's marveling at Jesus' teaching. And those would gather disciples. They would go call young disciples named Talmuds. And they would follow them. That's what disciple means. And learn their ways. A disciple is not just a student to learn what the teacher knows. A disciple is someone who follows around a rabbi, lives with them, works with them, travels with them. So that they would not only know what the rabbi knows, but they'd be able to do what the rabbi does. They would take on their whole life. We call this Formation. You see, this is why Jesus calls us to make disciples, not just knowers of God's words, but those who follow God's word. We're interested in making disciples, not making Christians. Like making a Christian, that's, man, that, that's broad. A lot of people can be called Christians. We're, we're looking for disciples. Jesus is looking for disciples that not only know what he taught, but does what he taught. That's a disciple. And so here is Jesus calling these young men 
out of their vocation to follow him. And they're not the cream of the cream. They're not the top students. But what do they have? Here's the characteristics. When I asked you, are you someone Jesus would be interested in having on his team? What are those attributes? Right here. I think there's three of them. The first one is that they, they follow God's word. They're not so proud as to say, that's the dumbest thing I heard. That doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? No one else is doing that. No one I know does that. The person says, it doesn't make sense to me. But because of your word, because of your word, because you call me to do it, I will be obedient. That's the first mark right here. Someone who loves God's word. That's what Peter does. Because, our, because of your word, we will let down our nets. The second thing is someone who recognizes who Jesus is. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a prophet. He is the one that controls the fish. And Luke's going to unpack. He's the one that controls the winds and the waves. And we're going to see that he's the one that has the authority over life and death itself. And Peter here sees an early glimpse of who Jesus is as the son of God. He's God, which makes it hard for Peter to be with him because Peter, there's a third thing, knows who he is. So he loves God's word. He knows who Jesus is, and he knows who he is, a sinner. I'm a sinner. Someone who has humbled themselves and honest with themselves of I am not perfect. And I said there were three, but I meant there were four. Fourth one is someone who was willing to surrender everything. When Jesus says, come follow me, it's not the person that says, well, you can, you can have this area of my life, but not this area. It's someone who says, I will leave all the nets behind and I'll follow you. And I'll follow you. So he's collected his first few disciples. They're not the smartest in the room. They're not the most accomplished. They're those who are willing to follow his word, who know who he is, who recognize their own sin and need for a savior and surrender their life to him. And so then Jesus continues to do this kingdom work of bringing healing to many. And there's familiar stories in here. We're going to pick it up in verse 27 where he calls his next disciple. After these healings, so after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, another name for Matthew, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. Remember what we talked about with tax collectors? Like, they're not only hated because they take taxes, but because they've betrayed their countrymen. That Rome has employed fellow Jews who know everyone's businesses and knows that they're going to go collect their taxes correctly and have been given permission to collect even more than Rome requires to pad their own personal pockets. And so Matthew is called. Now, do you think that's going to build good culture with the fishermen? The businessmen pay taxes, perhaps, through Matthew himself or others like Matthew. Do you think this is going to cause some friction in the team? Yeah. But Jesus is, remember, good news for all people. That was the announcement. Good news for all people. 
And so here's Jesus gathering a diverse group of people to follow him. And so this tax collector who's despised, who's cheated everybody, recognizes who Jesus is. And at his word, follows him and then does the best thing. This is what, this is what you should do. If you come to know Jesus, this is a great response. Throw a party. Throw a big party and invite the worst friends you have. That's what he does. It's so good. So here's verse 28. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. So he starts throwing the, the community's party. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. So he's invited all of his friends to his house for a party he was throwing Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, this is the religious leaders of the day. They grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Like, so here's this thing called table fellowship. And we're going we're gonna to run into it through the book of Luke. Table fellowship is those in whom you eat with, you associate with, and therefore are seen to approve. And so Jesus being at table with tax collectors and sinners is a sign that he approves of them, that he likes them, that he's willing to associate with them. And the religious leaders are like, wait, 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 whoa. Our goal is to stay as holy as possible and distance ourselves from tax collectors and sinners. Why are you eating with them? And here's Jesus' response. Why, why are you hanging out with these potential team members verse 31 and jesus answered them those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick i have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance like i'm like a, i'm a physician and a physician has shown up to be near the sick to heal the sick I'm, I, I don't have any business with all the healthy with the self-righteous I've come to call sinners, like Peter and Levi, to repentance. Remember what repentance was? was turning from your life to Jesus. That's what I've come to do. Now, here's what Jesus is brilliant. Jesus is so brilliant. He doesn't tell the company who's who. You see that? He doesn't name call anybody. He's just at the table. He says, well, this is what I'm here for. I'm here for the sick sinners, not the healthy righteous. You figure out who's who. And you should figure out who you are. Because if you're sick and you're a sinner, I'm here for you. I've called them to follow me. That's who I'm interested in. Those are the team members that I'm calling. Are those who know their own sickness. Who know that they're a sinner. And they're looking for a healer. That's who I'm here for. I love it. And he leaves it up to them. Would you like to join the movement? Do you want to join what I'm, what I'm doing, what I'm a part of? Now Luke records for us the rest of the original 12. This is chapter 6 if you want to go over there. Verse 12. There's 12 disciples because there's 12 tribes of Israel. It's symbolic of what Jesus is doing. It says, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray. This is what he's been doing. All night he continued in prayer to God. So before he makes any of these decisions of calling disciples, Jesus is, is saturated in prayer with the Father. 
which should just be a good marker for us of how we make decisions, to sit with the Lord before we go and, and make decisions in our life. And when day came, he called his disciples, and he chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, those who were going to be sent out, those who were with him and were sent out. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So these are the original 12, but they're, they're an indication of all those who would follow Jesus. And I love how diverse this group is. Like you talk about bringing so many different kinds of people together. You even have here Simon, who was called the Zealot. Do you know what a Zealot is? It's a Jewish nationalist. It's like we're going we're gonna to conquer Rome by the sword. They're more than happy to put a sword in their belt and be physically violent. It's like even Jesus is calling them to follow him. And so it's all those who love his word, who recognize who he is because they recognize who they are and receive his mercy and invitation to follow. Let me ask you this question. I asked you earlier, do you, th- you think you're the person that Jesus is interested in calling? Do any of those markers interest you? Like what, what, what does God have to say? Does that interest you? Who Jesus is as the Son of God, the authority over life and death, does, does that interest you? Do you know that you're a sinner? I am. And are you willing to receive his mercy? This invitation to come and follow. Come be a disciple of Jesus. Repent and turn and follow me. That's, that's Jesus' invitation. Now some of us are like, you know, I did that for a long time. And I didn't do so well. I was like up and down and all around. And I had high moments and I failed at other moments. I don't know if I could really be a disciple. I've tried. Well, I want to show you one more thing. You got five more minutes? Okay, I'm going to show you one more thing. This is the hope for you. This is not recorded in Luke, but it's recorded in another eyewitness. This is in the Gospel of John. And he follows the life of Peter. And Peter, if you know Peter, he's up and down. He's like a middle school boy. Like, woo, successes. Oh, complete failures, you know. And you see, Jesus, you see Peter with Jesus. Like, he's the first one to get it. You're the Christ. And then he's the first one to really be hesitant to the mission. You won't go to the cross. And then he denies Jesus. Remember, you remember this story. Where he denies Jesus three times on the night he was betrayed. I've never known the man three times. Like if you ever feel like a disciple is perfect, you're not. Peter wasn't. So this is John chapter 21. This is after the resurrection. Jesus has already shown up a couple times in the disciples' lives. This is the third time Jesus shows up after the resurrection to, to show himself to the disciples. And we'll pick it up in verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the other side, on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. 
So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord! When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And he just starts running to Jesus. What's the difference? It's two, two same stories almost. In one, this miraculous catch comes in and Peter recognizes who Jesus is and falls to his face and says, get out of here, I'm a sinner. And then after the resurrection, several years later, a same miraculous catch. And one of the disciples says, it's Jesus. And Peter's like, I can't wait to get to him. I'm jumping off this boat and I'm running to him. What's happened? Resurrection. Jesus has accomplished the mission. Now Peter knows as a sinner, the safest, best place to be is with Jesus. I got to get to Jesus. And he goes and he runs to shore and he sits with Jesus. And Jesus is so kind that they make a meal on the beach. And then he begins to ask Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, I love you. Okay, then feed my sheep. And he asks him again, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, you know I love you. I didn't, didn't tend my sheep. He says, Peter, do you love me? And this pierces Peter's heart. You had to ask me a third time. Why does he ask me a third time? Well, Peter, because you denied him three times, and he wants you to know that he fully forgives you for everything you've done. Peter, do you love me? He says, oh, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. And then he restores Peter. That's what Jesus does. That's that mercy piece. He restores Peter. And these are the final words he gives to Peter. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. I love Jesus. He's so compassionate and gracious with us. It's along the journey, even three years later, here these guys have gone back to fishing. And he's like, that's not what I called you to. Remember, I've called you to be fisher of men. You're going to be evangelists, missionaries. You're going to leave your nets. And so here Jesus shows up after the resurrection and comes to the boys. And he says, follow me. Follow me. And what we know is from this point on, they just they follow him everywhere. And then his spirit leads them to go and begin the church in all these different places in the world. And what they do is they cast nets. And the nets they cast is the word of God. They just lay down the words of God. This is what Jesus has said. This is what the kingdom's all about. And all of these men and women just like swim into the nets. Like, I want to be saved. I want that kind of salvation. I want to be forgiven. I want to know God. I want eternal life. And they just swim on in into the family of God. All those who respond to his word because they recognize who Jesus is. They know that they're in need because they're a sinner. And they follow him. They surrender their life to him. Those are the marks. Is that you? The invitation is still open today. We call it the day of grace. Today's grace. 
in which the nets are open, that the door is open, God's arms are open to whomsoever. And maybe you've been a disciple for a lot of years and you've been away from the church for many years and you just need to hear Peter's story of Jesus saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm calling you back. I'm recommissioning you. I'm restoring you back to the family. And then we're doing this again. Remember, follow me. That's what I've called you to do. Follow me. And you just need to be restored back into the family. But these, this is the people that Jesus is interested in. It's not the most gifted. It's not the most talented. It's not the cream of the crop. It's those who follow him. And so I just want to pray for you. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know what God wants to, to speak to you directly today. But I just want to pray for you. That in all the ways that God has called us to do, we would follow him. Imperfectly, I know. But passionately, we would pursue our Savior. Shall we pray? Let's all, we're going to end this way. So let's all just stand up and let me, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for the gift of the reliable historical gospels that we have. We thank you for the ways in which they have recorded all of these moments in the life of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that in your mercy and compassion, you pursue sinners like me. That you're looking for the sick. For those who don't have it all put together. And so Lord I just ask for, for you to speak to each one of us individually. Of how you're calling us to follow you. Lord what are you asking us to surrender? What keeps us from surrendering fully to you? And then Father would you give us the courage as, as Peter and James and John had. To lay down our nets. And follow. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would be the premier disciple maker of Calvary Bible Church. That you would truly be our teacher. The one that we want to learn from, be formed into, and follow all the days of our life. And, Father, I just ask that for those who have never known you, Father, I just pray that you would woo them. That you would woo them. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. That you would woo them in to the family of God. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.